0: Okay, fuck. Today's episode 18 of Curse with Good Ideas. And that's not just that. It's a crossover episode, our first ever, but actually also uh, welcoming back our first guest, no, our second guest, third guest, I forgot that. Henry Lee from the Deathnography podcast and something else. What What are you up to recently?
1: Um, I, I guess like the meme page as well would be the other thing, but I haven't been yeah, actually yeah. as active on that. Uh, aside from that, um, since I last spoke with you guys, since I last was on your podcast, I'm now, I'm still working a physical job, but now it's a job that I'm in control of. Like I'm a I'm a landscaper in uh, Toronto now. Wow! Yeah. I work so- with my dad part-time and then I work on my own jobs part-time. So, so yeah, uh, taking yeah, it's it's pretty great. I take uh, garden design courses at a college. Uh, both my parents are landscape architects, so it kind of gave me a head start mm-hmm. on uh, just like design prowess and plant iding and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, I've got clients, and that's what I'm going to be doing when I'm uh, back in Toronto.
0: That's so cool, man! I think you're the only one who has a job. And he's in control of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the the Chad landscaper. Exactly. And, the uh, Chad the landscaper. Uh, professor.
0: Oh my God. That meme you just sent in the... I mean, today's going to be a very random podcast. So I'm just like shit posting, shit talking. But that Joe Biden Trump meme was so good. I'm going to just put the audio in the well, podcast. They,
1: but uh, you remember like five years ago. Yeah. Okay. Like... <laughs>
0: No, no, you're not based. Listen, you are the soy Wojak. I am the Chad Wojak. No,
1: no. You are the soy Jojak. And I am the Chad Gamer Wojak know who you are you
0: are the 80 year old unfit ruler that's who you are you know you're not the chad wojak i am the nordic gamer chad the giga chad wojak you're the virgin and i'm the chad
1: i'm actually
0: not so fucking good yeah but
1: like the ai um i mean ai obviously has come a long way like the yeah. visual stuff too but just the voices like i remember even the last time we spoke i remember listening to like a podcast episode i think it was like radio lab or something and they were like in the future we'll be able to recreate people's voices and it's like we already have this technology and then they did a um I think it was like Key and Peel or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, di- di- but it, w- it didn't sound that great. Like they mm-hmm. were like writing new sentences and it sounded like a robot. But now mm-hmm. at this point, we can basically make anyone say anything we want.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, this sounds super
2: good. Do you, do you guys know about um, this um, on the the, the, the the infinite conversation? It's infinite conversation Oh yeah,
0: the can, and and who? It's a simulated it's conversation.
2: It's a simulated conversation between Slavoj Zizek and Werner Herzog.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh no. So yeah. Um and it's like it's pretty it's it's very convincing. Like it's um it's a it's a really good joke um for um uh i suppose um a certain kind of uh wannabe male uh intellectual <laughs> us yeah uh, yeah for Just for boys wannabe be males. yeah wannabe males yeah that's
0: a good uh i think we can call our audience wannabe males so we give advice for boys or want to be advice for boys <laughs>
1: <laughs> that sounds so fucking weird. <laughs>
0: yeah, but uh, yeah, it's kind of similar to the Infinite Seinfeld uh, thing that was popular like a few days ago.
3: That, that, the Infinite Seinfeld already got banned. Really? At Twitch, yeah. By oh, Twitch? It. Really? Yeah. Why? So, like uh, they said racist shit at some point? Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I mean, that's uh, that's normal, right? Like for AI generated conversation, infinite conversation at that, at some point. I mean,
0: at some point, you've got to be racist if it's infinite. It's like, yeah. you know, that's theory.
2: Yes, that's basically what AI does. You, it's just can attest to that. Sorry. Rein, reinvents <laughs> ways to be racist.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a value proposition. Of Although, the did you see?
1: Um, I think it was a chat, G- chat GPT. Uh, someone asked it like this, r- like, ridiculous hypothetical situation where there's going to be like nuclear. War, unless a white yeah, guy yeah. says the n word, yeah, and then Chad GMPT was like, It's never okay to say the n word because they just you know programmed that to okay, so yeah, and then okay, it was okay. Man. Well, that's what Ben Shapiro and like <laughs> every conservative Twitter guy started losing their shit, <laughs> they're, they're like. Can you believe what's going to happen? It's like a hypothetical scenario, but they were so upset. Elon Musk, I think, actually. Yeah, he's uh, that concerning or some shit. Yeah, it's very concerning. That
2: concerning. (laughs) It's very. It's Chat GPT is a very Kantian sense of morality. You know. Yeah, but the 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 fun thing (laughs) is that
0: like that morality part. It's not like it's not artificial intelligence. It's more like. They purposefully trained it to to be like yeah. very moral, and who did it is like data workers in Kenya. So there are so many layers of like <laughs> uh, like higher cheap labor to make the 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 white AI very uh, politically correct. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Yeah,
3: just like uh, when you try the
2: when you try the coding question. The yeah, exactly.
0: Goes, yeah. yeah, it's like
2: yes. Cuck- give 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 oh, our yeah. listeners the yeah, background yeah, sure. on that.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the background is that today's episode is the Curse We Good Ideas and the Ethnography Podcast official advice episode so we're gonna help young men and women are like three percent of uh, women listeners uh so you can send us questions we're live but nobody knows but, but we're live but I think we're, we have some questions on social media but anyway I asked chat GPT to uh to ask some questions related to uh love relationships cucking uh, and I forgot what else uh, men's health and stuff like that now I gotta go back to my uh my to my I like how it's like
1: that it's just seamlessly added to the list like you know love relationships (laughs) cuckolding who
0: who put that list together was it you patrick
1: it's such a it is such a common theme though now yeah exactly
0: Uh, it's like uh yeah it's just like grocery shopping and cooking yeah um Let me find it. Oh, we talk so much. Mm.
2: It's on like the CDC's website, you know, like after you test positive for COVID, how many days do you have to quarantine before you can go, A, go grocery shopping, like B, get an Uber, C, you know, spectate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty safe
0: if you keep like six feet. Yeah, you got to keep your distance. Keep
2: your mask on and everyone's going to, you're not going to kill anyone's grandma. Earlier,
3: uh, a colleague uh, of mine asked a question on, um sepio sexuality. Cool. And That's the question. What's the fucking deal with uh sex Um why is it a thing like in a sense that say Henry was telling us that uh he thought sep sapi- sexuality is a joke or or okay
1: oh. I, didn't, I wasn't saying Let me rephrase it. Yeah. Well, I I was under the impression that it was not something that anyone actually identified as. Right. I thought that sapiosexual was like, or, or like maybe a few people on the internet do, but it's not like something in real life that you would encounter. And all the instances I'd ever heard of anyone using that term were in a joking way it was just it was just people on twitter be, like you know haha I'm, well i'm a sapiosexual so i would i wouldn't know anything about that or like you know just whatever dumb jokes about it right but i didn't so, think that it was like a real sub subculture and then dino is telling me oh no there's plenty of people out there who consider I mean, themselves sapiosexual i
0: never i never heard anyone tell me directly like i'm sapiosexual because would <laughs> sound so fucking stupid but uh but like on dating apps it's like so many women at least of like description of me sapiosexual that's it. It's like what? <laughs> so I don't know. Really? Yeah. That's I mean crazy. that's that's my experience. That 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 yes,
3: I can yeah. testify yeah, to yeah, that yeah. too. <laughs> I think that's very common uh tagline um especially from the women's side i don't know uh, if men i mean
0: i don't check men's profile so i don't know but uh i guess i don't I think know if it, men would put sep- I, I would never put sapiosexual in my profile whatever
3: <laughs> i don't know i think to a degree that it's also a real thing uh i think it's maybe like think about like say um people i, I think it's related to like pseudo intellectualism um especially um this uh, probably applies to people in ac- academia too but I think people in academia are more tired of it, I guess, because you're like, that's what you do. That's your job. You probably hate yourself so much. So, okay. um, so that's not really a thing. But for people who are sort of outside looking in, it's, uh, there's a bit of a fantasy of ivory tower or, of the um art world maybe so that that became a sort of a functional label in the dating scene yeah in that sense
0: but it's kind of weird right because i mean it's the only term that's used like this like se- with sexual otherwise it's like psychosexual or uh... Right. I don't know heterosexual, well, because it, because bisexual. It, yeah, it's like
1: it's it's framed in in such a way that it's a sexuality, right? Yeah, so it's kind of weird I, the way that we're talking about it, right? Or the way that Dino was just talking about it is more as if it were just like a, this word is a marker to indicate that I'm interested in something more than just you know a casual relationship or like um, a fling or something like you know let's go to a museum or whatever and let's right. discuss art and books
0: okay Makes
1: sense this I, word I, in my bio it means like no i'm not just here to like hook up with people on the internet got
0: it got it okay i think
2: that's i think that's pretty functional and fair um right it's people want to have conversations i think uh, as uh i think it's a signifier of a certain kind of um like position within class and cultural capital mm. right it tends to um and i i think it conveys it's like a very um middle brow or upper middle brow conception of what like intellectuality is it's like someone who reads the new yorker might think they're a sapiosexual okay like like because like I someone think who you, uses
1: like proper grammar and text messages and like looks down on you if you if you don't
2: yeah because anyone so, who is, 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 is a diff, like intellectual yeah. worker probably only has contempt for for the concept uh, of like dino was saying Yeah. Or just even that, like, I mean, unless you're a prick um, uh, that like the idea that um, being intellectual or smart, like distinguishes you at all from any other, you know, uh, you know, limp dick cock uh, (laughs) is, is, um, is, you know, we, we, we as holders of advanced degrees are disabused of that notion. And so I don't think any of us would think that would mistake ourselves. For being turned on by any conventional signifiers exactly. of, of intelligence, such such that we would wear it on our sleeve and advertise it about ourselves, right? Yes, someone who's s- smart and says something interesting is sexy, right? But it's like uh, I wouldn't go fabricating an identity about it because, unfortunately, I I already am like so. It's it's like aspirational, I think. There's there's a touch of, like, aspiration in relation to, like, cultural capital that I think is um, connoted by calling yourself a sapiosexual. So you think it does
0: have a sexual connotation? Because what Henry was saying is more like it's sort of a a synonym for intellectual like i don't want to hook up i want to you know go go have a chat and enjoy you know some conversation stuff so why why don't you just write intellectual or like i'm i'm, I'm interested in cultural stuff or whatever do you think it, it does have that kind of like well, i maybe, am sexually maybe, no attractive. i think you're right
1: i think it no no i think it's like that that follows from it because i think the whole idea is i'm only sexually attracted yeah. to someone if i have that intellectual connection okay. with them not just an emotional one not just a physical one but like it has to intellectual. be intellectual yeah we're both interested in the same books movies whatever
0: okay yeah got it so what's our uh what's our uh, answer to young man sap sexuality yes or no
1: <laughs> go for it
0: yeah go for it okay good
1: no, I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? Wait, what was the original question? Was it no, I don't know, because sapi- it's an
0: advice episode. Are, so, okay.
1: Does sapiosexuality exist? Is that the question? Oh, or is it like, I think, I think. What it, I, is a sapiosexual? Okay.
0: Yeah. I think it does exist. Like that, Um, that Dino sent me this, uh, this story about the uh, French writer, Michel Hollebeck, who went to the Netherlands and had like an orgy with women who apparently were very interested in having sex with a French writer. Is that sapiosexuality?
3: That would be the definition of sapiosexuality, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that would be like the French way of doing it, this right? Like
0: from the Sapir region of France.
3: Excess, with excess. yeah. 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 But, right. Say, so, so if like if it applies to, like, say, account Asian contact, maybe in Hong Kong, for example. It would be mostly just um, I, I I would I would argue even like mostly just hipster stuff, not even really uh, intellectual stuff. Say you wouldn't t- actually talk about um, you're gonna sit together, have a coffee, and critique a film together, or okay. talk about like philosophy or random theory and shit. No, not really. I guess it's more of um, hipster stuff, so it would be like more abstract uh, in a sense to maybe certain sense of aesthetics, designer stuff, and. So in that sense, yeah, you're very middle-brow. Um, but say, were you talking about the in, in that sort of like um, Michelle Holbeck's uh, yeah. uh, fans, uh, that would be, um, yeah, there'll be another way of like quite literally sapiosexual, I think. Yeah, so, okay, okay. In that sense.
2: My, my advice to young men yes. would be... It's uh, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be a faux Lacanian and but, I'll say, you know, the sapiosexual relation does not exist. Okay. Um, or as Lacan says, the sexual relation does not exist, which is just a general caution that like it's never going to work out the yeah, way yeah. you think it's going to work out. You're never going to be desired exactly as you think you want to be desired. And um, in my in, in my personal experience, I'll be revealing it's like um, I have found uh, I I, I, I have found that it's a recurring theme okay that uh, people I'm involved with might say that what they're attracted to is my intellect okay for example you know because I don't have a lot else going for me besides on, being man. ripped besides being ripped, <laughs> ripped and having great hair exactly um, and beard
0: you
1: went viral on or no well not viral but like people were sharing a photo of you anonymously reading a book yeah not just because you were intellectual that wasn't the thing it was wow this guy looks so cool yeah if it was just a regular dude on the subway reading a book it wouldn't you know it wouldn't have people would have been like okay well this is a creepy photo but it was you right
2: (laughs) thank you thank you yeah cute kubrick guy reading the, the the kindly ones on the subway my claim to fame now um the but yeah but i would say you know i often find it burdensome if someone is like yeah. oh i'm attracted to your intellect i find it burdensome because i'm an intellectual worker as it were right so it's like and and i have my own hangups about the notion of uh, hierarchies of intelligence or whatever so it's like sapiosexuality sexuality is a is a fantasy, and and all love needs fantasy, but don't expect the fantasy to be fulfilled. That's my advice to young men.
0: Thanks, Patrick. I I, I can subscribe to that. I think that's, that's good. Excellent. Okay, I can add a little bit to that. Right, say yeah.
3: just following what Patrick just said about um, when you have a self perception, say you are intellectual worker like ourselves, uh, we have this perception that people attract to us. It must be because of our intellect, right? So we don't have anything else going for us
1: which is sad
3: but the, yeah, you, that's maybe your self-perception but
1: or yeah. at least that's the main or at least that's the main defining characteristic of you if people were to de- describe you they'd be like oh this person is yeah. an intellectual this person's someone who you know right. is into that stuff right
3: so in this case if your self-perception in this case this applies to all the young men out there that that prescribed to this idea that you you have nothing else going for you except for your intellect, whatever that means to you, um, you might be wrong. You know, like there might be you just some uh, someday you might meet a person who just by whatever means, just find you cute or like uh, uh, good looking for whatever reason. And this is in a sense, if that happens, it's quite liberating. Yeah. Right? It's it's just like it's just like say a good looking person. Who knows they're good-looking and also knows they have nothing else going for them. They're attracting people who, like, attract to their looks. And someday, another person who just decided that this person really attracts them because of whatever other reason other than their looks, I guess... That is liberating for that person. That's that the that's
0: way. the ultimate ultimate fantasy. Like someone who's attracted to you, but also tells you like, you're dumb as fuck. You're not intellectual. <laughs> that would be amazing.
1: Oh, I was. I just I like Dino's thing about if you think you have that defining quality about yourself. For young men, it is a good idea to maybe because you are still young and still malleable in who you are and what you can do. Not define yourself by what others would maybe uh, use as the first adjective for you. Right. And uh, yeah, you know you. could could be athletic and just not know it yet or something like that yeah. that's but a that's a good
0: transition to to uh to our topic of uh men's health maybe do we have a question on men's health
2: i, I have a <clears throat> i have a question about men's health um that's um highly um inscrutable It'd be a good change of pace this is what somebody messaged me. There's something I think I know, but I want to know that I know it. How can I best do this without putting undue strain on my kidneys? That's that's man's health.
0: That is like alcoholism or
2: this is the alcohol? Yeah, exactly. This is. The... <laughs> I thought we were saving
1: this for the last bit.
2: I would say hydrate.
1: Well, can um, we wait? Wait, wait. wait can we pick hydrated. this apart? Because like, is are you understanding it right off the bat? I'm not understanding it right off the bat. No. But I think no. No. We understand
2: it's, it. it's a kind of highly inscrutable Zen Cohen. Of, I think. To, uh, I think together co- we can
1: pick this apart.
0: Well, this person, something I think I know, thinks they know the answer. I guess, but they want to, like, they want to
2: confirm that they have
0: the right answer.
2: How do you
1: know that you know something? And how do you do it without destroying
2: yourself? Yeah, I don't know. Like another classic Kantian dilemma, you know? Yeah. How, How do you, how do you, how can you be sure of the a priori conditions of synthetic um, uh, knowledge um, without, you know, um, driving yourself? to um, uh, perpetual virginity and um, uh, dementia, <laughs> like like the great philosopher of Um But
0: th- this person wants to know that they know it. It's this like eternal thirst for knowledge, which is uh, admirable, I think.
2: And part of why you have to keep hydrated. Yeah. Because that, that thirst yeah. is a sign <laughs> that your kidneys are not, are not, um, yeah. And also probably get checked for diabetes if, um if, yeah,
0: yeah, I mean that yeah, I would always do that, like do your health checks and uh, yeah. Actually, when I read this question, I thought it was part of a question about working out that was missing the first part, but um, it's probably not. But anyway, I, I, I can agree. I mean, as a general advice to a young men, I'd say drink water. It's always good. I just got a water bottle and that's uh, been a great purchase. Um, I also got a water bottle bag
2: to carry it around. We're staying hydrated like... over here too. Damn, Henry, you are slamming a Monster Zero at uh, 10 p.m. Amazing. Yeah. King oh, shit. We should get a
0: sponsorship since we mentioned it. <laughs> what are you having? Like, just uh, uh, just tea? Just tea? Yeah.
1: Any flavor? Any sweetener? Anything? No, no sweetener. It's like, like a liter though. That's like a big tea. Yeah, actually. like I like I like tea. Uh, here they do
0: like
3: um like Chinese tea, but it's actually um product of Coca Cola. Oh also, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything's on like Coca
0: Cola and in Hong Kong,
3: but it's like um like really Chinese flavor tea, like very bitter.
1: But um yeah, it's nice. So, like to have like cold tea, especially cold Chinese tea. I think near my grandmother's, there was um like where she lives in uh like near Taiku there was a uh, a water reservoir. My dad was telling me about that was like for Coca Cola. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. It was the water yeah. that, and so my dad and his friends would uh sneak in as kids and and swim in it, and uh, a guard would come after them with a whip and uh, try to. Uh, attack them and wow. get them the there. I've been there uh, yeah. it's a
0: pretty cool place it's a place with a lot of monkeys as well you should go
1: I think that's a dip- that's a different that's a reservoir different place. yeah that's there's no monkeys reservoir. on we no monkeys on Hong Kong Island
0: together. oh it's we're on Hong Kong, Kong Island. Island okay okay okay. Yeah. no I was thinking the one England, uh, England, yeah. uh, new that's territories the one. Yeah, yeah okay there's uh, only boars over here are you on Hong Kong Island right now
1: yeah, well, yeah. we're
3: in uh, uh,
0: Central oh cool cool I'm gonna read a question what is your experience with weightlifting I have not. i
1: thinking about getting into it I mean I don't have it experience
3: yeah i don't so, i
0: don't lift i don't so I lift. Don't yeah yeah
3: so, but, but
0: we have we have two resident
3: weightlifting exactly. athletes, yeah.
1: hey, actually i have a question for the two like non-lifters yes okay because it seems like i mean this is something that i could basically ask a lot of people but like what compels you not to or like not to lift it <laughs> Or or like, did you, did you at some point when you were like in undergrad or something? Cause I had so many friends who started out lifting in the gym with me. And at the time I was like, this is going to be forever. Like we're always going to be gym buddies, gym bros, whatever. Okay. And like, basically I'm not friends with any of them now or like very few of them they don't lift uh (laughs) that shared bond that we had is like no longer there all everyone I've ever had as a workout but maybe this is actually about me personally maybe I've just turned people off the gym or something but everyone I've ever worked out with doesn't really work out anymore really Uh, did you work out at some point and then just like lose the passion for it or you just always like this is stupid I don't want to do this
0: no I did I did for like maybe a couple of years when I was in high school because we went with like a bunch of friends and it was like the the cool thing to do to just like get ripped so I mean I it. Kind of boring actually, so I think that's why I stopped. And I don't know, I don't know, I think it's really related to like local fitness cultures because in Italy it's not that common to like to go to the gym if you want to work out, you like play soccer or play basketball or swim or run or or exercise, but not in the gym because it's just like, why would you be? Why would you stay indoors? And do stuff with with like objects.
1: Well that's because in Italy there's like a nice outdoors
0: to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's related to that. So it becomes more of like I don't know. I mean, even I have a lot of friends who are like into fitness and work out a lot, but they that never go to the gym. They just be like, I go, yeah, like I run, I work out uh, outside, I go play games and stuff. So I don't know. For me it's always been like, Okay, I tried, it's not that fun. Um, I'd rather like go swimming and I don't know, running or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. But for you it has been more of a like you enjoy it on a non-social level, just by yourself, or is it a social thing?
1: Um I think originally and like I, I think I did like one of my podcast episodes was about like gender and and the gym. Yeah. And yeah like yeah, sort of yeah. my personal experiences with like sports and you know, self worth and how I felt like mm. judo as a kid and That sort of thing. Um, I think when I first started lifting weights, it was like definitely uh, very much tied to like self-perception and self-worth and like a social thing. I'm like, I need to get big and strong because that's like something that's you know admirable or uh, you know girls will like that sort of thing mm-hmm. yeah i started in high school i should say that as well like so <laughs> yeah yeah. Uh, yeah so like normal like teenage guy sort of ways of seeing yeah, yeah. the world like if i'm big and strong then maybe people will like like me more which is like very sad but that's probably what most guys are thinking when they're in the gym mm-hmm. to begin with uh but yeah over time it became more of like a health thing um at this point i just enjoy it i mean like i'm hanging out with my grandma every day while i'm here in hong kong and there's no one to impress like my grandmother doesn't care but I'll, i'm still going to the gym right because it's just yeah, for yeah, me. Sure, i don't have sure, any sure. gym buddies here it's just like you know although i do post on instagram so maybe it isn't just for me but yeah it's more for me now
2: henry's instagram posts were definitely part of my inspiration to start lifting oh that's absolutely interesting. oh so you 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 never yeah.
0: lifted before
2: no no he's my Fitzbo and I am. Uh, I my. Are you serious? My...
1: I didn't know that.
3: Don't <laughs> <laughs> You guys just found out about this today. <laughs> yeah, I,
1: didn't, I thought you were always. I thought you were always lifting weights. I thought.
2: No, no. In fact, you have. You have played a formative role in my life, Henry. Um you and a couple other people, but like, yeah, um i was i I was very physically not active um until my early thirties and then I was just like uh it's just like I can't i, I can't keep <laughs> doing this anymore like. You know, my body was becoming uh, heavier and heavier and, uh, you know, you're getting older. And you... and I was in grad school. And I think when a lot of people go to grad school, they become what I call grad fit. yeah, Because it's like they have access to a nice gym and they have a weird, mostly free schedule so they can t- exploit the gym at weird times of day. And it's a great way out of your head. And I feel like it might, um, you know, uh, I didn't start grad school till I was thirty. A lot of my friends started in their twenties, and I felt like I saw them all become like way go from being like um, scrawny nerds or flabby nerds to fit nerds. Um, and I think um, like co- the conformist piece of shit I am, I, I did a similar thing where I started grad school, and I'm getting older. It was actually a summer in China that convinced me, like, oh my god, I need to like exercise and take better care of myself because it was so hot, and I. Had had to walk like half an hour to campus and then up five flights of stairs. And I was just like, I just can't. I'm sweating like a pig every day. I've, I've got to be more physically like capable. Um, and I think I went to. I started running because my father had been a runner, mm. and uh, so I had some sense of that. And then I started weightlifting. Um. Uh. I've kind of always been curious about it, like aesthetically. Like it seems right. like a cool activity, and I and I I do enjoy from time to time, say like watching Olympic lifting on like YouTube. I just think it's like really like uh, graceful and interesting. Um. And uh, yeah, maybe also body goals. I thought. You know, I'm kind of like a short, squat guy. That's that's kind of like the profile in my family. Uh, I shouldn't aim for being like lean per se. I should aim for being like a like a kind of like a sexy gnome. Yeah, or like the a, dwarven like a, king. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dwarven yeah king. Lord of
1: the
0: Rings, Lord of the Rings. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's why I started weightlifting, and um, I think it's I think all, all all forms of exercise are very interesting as a form of uh, my advice to young men is. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we should keep bringing yeah. it
1: back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, is, um, you know, um, what you will discover is, is that uh, uh, exercise, um, you'll be motivated to exercise for extrinsic reasons, like I need to be able to perform physically, like better not s- sweat like a hog or become tired from going up the stairs, or because I want to be better looking. Um, and uh, you will soon Discover the, the intrinsic joy Of exercise, mm-hmm. uh, the sense Of uh, accomplishment The sense of um, like self Formation, like it feels good to Take an active role in Caring about yourself um, And even shit like um, Desire, like I, I, I Don't know, maybe, maybe more girls Have noticed me since I got fitter um, But uh, I feel like I, I, I feel more appealing to myself And my yeah. vanity is a bottomless like well of gratification so um, yeah and you can do it for the rest of your damn life so it's I'll tell you um,
1: who isn't noticing though sapiosexuals
2: (laughs) damn <laughs> I've blown! I've blown my one sure thing by trying to become a himbo. Yeah, you know?
0: is it like a fixed quantity? So it's like if you're intellectual and you're also ripped, yeah. then your intellectual like video value game, goes right? down. Yeah. Oh yeah, you can yeah, only exactly. yeah. you cannot multi-class. You can only like specialize. J- just
3: it. just on that, like yeah, just an extension of that. Uh... I have a question for the two uh, weightlifters here. Yeah. What, what's what's what is the relationship between weightlifting and Marxism? Why is these two things are brought up so often? Yeah, that's true. Why, what what's yeah what what's the what's the deal? Right, mm. I I want to know.
1: Okay, I can say that this is like. Uh... Okay, so maybe when I was in grad school, like in my like early-ish mid twenties, um, there was a lot of like people talking about it's like it's you know very cringeworthy term obviously, but like the solitariat, right? uh, Yeah, like being but but it I mean it's 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 a funny it's a funny stupid term, but it's like it it is like an older idea, right? Like the the sort of uh, the working person being like more physically able. Uh, the the guy in the factory who is you know toiling away and being exploited every day. Um, one thing he does have is his his physical strength, which I mean, yeah, he's he doesn't have health insurance and whatnot, <laughs> but uh, he's he's he has a uh, he has that physical capability which could, which allows for the possibility of you know maybe some future revolutionary kind of action. And I think that that was sort of revived in like, you know, 2016, maybe 2017 online. People had sort of this romantic idea of like, hey, let's get jacked together and then we'll go like fight fascists and like with our fists right like is i mean it, like it what sort of was sort of missing at least from a lot of the discussions that i saw was like you know the the main factor in who wins a fight is i, I mean strength is a big factor but you if you really want to win fist fights you should probably be going to like a boxing gym or something yeah, yeah, You shouldn't yeah. be like you know <clears> squatting <throat> in uh in, like the university of toronto's uh like hard house or whatever like it, it doesn't make any sense but um unless yeah, you're fighting sort of
0: intellectuals rationale. if you're fighting intellectuals that's that's okay that's enough
1: yeah because if you have a big squat <laughs> then you can just tell the the professor to shut up
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. but i yeah, know uh, uh,
1: that's that's the relationship that i saw was that people just you, sort of and i mean, and I mean you, even i think like mao wrote, wrote about this at some point there was like i don't know if you guys have uh maybe read more about this than me but there there was like sort of um i think he did write some stuff about like physical prowess of the masses like you know cultivating one's uh revolutionary spirit and like you know reading and blah 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 and studying all your stuff but also like doing you know like basically i think it was like actually calisthenics yeah uh, probably he yeah he yeah. yeah. was a
0: it was a big swimmer
1: yeah really great swimmer from what i hear
0: But how do you feel? Because Patrick was mentioning this like relationship between uh, grad bod, uh, grad fit, uh, and intellectual labor. But now, now that you're working, as like you're doing a pretty manual, physical, intensive job, right, with landscaping and stuff. uh, Yeah, very physical. Yeah. So, do you feel that going to the gym is kind of just like continuing that or similar? No, it's it's it's
1: it's really different. Like okay, uh, and I mean, and that's also one of the reasons why it's a little cringeworthy when you know you had like teenagers online talking about like swolitariat or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to jail. And then like, it probably would, I mean, like, you know, it probably is a good thing for people on the left or whatever, and organizers and stuff to have some, some notion of like being physically able and physical, or I shouldn't say physically able, but like, uh, you know, working on one's physical fitness, like that's not a bad thing, but um, just like as- associ- associating it sort of with being like, I'm a worker and thus I'm like, you know, jacked or whatever, mm-hmm. like from working on job sites, I can tell you that there are far more people in the office jobs where I've worked who went to the gym than there mm. were guys on job sites who go to the gym because first off you don't really have to right like as you it, you get strong but it's a different kind of strong where yeah, it's like yeah. practical strength uh, your grip strength's like crazy and you may not have showy muscles but you can you can manipulate objects in a really easy way right mm. like you it, when you say you're lifting something really heavy <clears throat> you, you even have like a certain sort of intelligence about just like manipulating objects in mm-hmm. space. So it's like, how would I lift this? Whereas someone who goes to the gym might try to lift it in a, a stupid way and get hurt or, you know, use too much energy in a way that they could have otherwise like uh, conserved yeah, that energy. Yeah. They're not efficient. Yeah. Um, so like, I think there is a disconnect there. And like, if you told anyone on a construction site or like a landscaper um, about, you know, s- self-proclaimed uh, like Maoists on Facebook, who are talking about the working class getting jacked together in the gym, like they'd be they'd be like, what what yeah, on
2: earth are the you fuck? talking yeah. about?
0: Yeah. I know yeah.
2: that there is a <clears throat> like an actual like historical genetic like relationship between like um like uh gay uh subcultures and scenes in the early 20th century um as part of like mainstreaming the idea of weightlifting and bodybuilding, mm. right? And it's the basically you have kind of like cross-class erotic encounters between, you know, the effete intellectual types and the like swole working men. And uh, that was a significant part of the like growth of the idea that like, oh, people who don't have physical jobs should do weightlifting as exercise. Mm. There was there, there was like a, a kind of um, a history of gay male desire is part of what created, is part of why yuppies today of all genders think they have to go to the gym and think that uh, muscles are beautiful um and i think there's also like uh uh now that's in the united states is all i know about certainly there's also like all all the like soviet and like maoist like social realism right it's all about how how fucking gorgeously ripped like workers every
1: single one of those posters right yeah those guys square jaw but huge fucking arms big broad chest right
2: yeah men and women like hardy you know Yeah, Um, especially the feminist posters
3: in in during the Mao era. There's like really big muscles, especially bicep and stuff. But this is like also in stark contrast to the actual working class at the time, but well, like most people like super skinny, uh, they're not like, I mean, they are starving, so they can't be like ripped. So in that sense, um, I guess it's like, uh, but what were we trying to try to get, I don't know, like, uh, maybe hand back to Patrick about, yeah,
2: well, yeah, no, that's a good point. Right. Because it's also like the, the, the sort of myth of the proletariat, right. Is also that like, I mean, the most proletarianized people are like malnourished and being like worked to death, you know? Um, Um, they're not ripped. Um, They're in horrible uh, uh, physical health uh, and they're being ruthlessly exploited. Um, And they're capable of enormous physical feats that would shock the rest of us because they have to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, you know, there's also worth a kind of self-critical examination of of the sort of like eroticized and idealized romantic image of, of the physically strong worker, But I think it's I I think in the present moment, uh, you know, if we're trying to win the hearts and minds of young men, yes, yes, here here today, we are. You know, there is there is a broad stereotypical and not unfounded association, right, of like physical fitness, right, with with more like right wing ideas, with more normative. Uh, so Jordan Peterson,
1: uh, school of young men advice, right? You, know, like you yeah. gotta be, uh, you gotta be strong up here, but you gotta also be strong. That's why he's so fucking ripped, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's why he's such a physical paragon, yeah. Um, and so uh, I think th- there's certainly something happening right now to like counter that, right? Um, and sort of uh, uh, unlock uh, the joys of like self care and self creation through the development of, for example, physical strength or skill uh, of whatever kind you find most stimulating. So like plug something like so there's like an anarchist hub in, in uh, New York called uh, in Queens called Woodbine. And they recently started like a pay what you want, like gym program mm-hmm. called Woodbine Strength. And it it's uh, seems to be like really popular and gro- like growing really fast. I'm very interested to go <clears throat> work out there myself. And the gym is great. Um, so like if you're in Queens or Brooklyn, you want low cost access to like a really Good gym, you know. Anarchists and their mutual aid networks are can also provide that for you. You, you don't have to pay sixty dollars uh, a month to go to the uh, Dave Barton or uh, or Equinox. And and yeah, maybe rhetorically, maybe maybe we should foster a re- a rhetoric of um, you know valuing things. I I think the key is like thinking about fitness not in like normative terms, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but in terms of again like self-care, self-creation, becoming something else. You know that's that's a wild ride, and I think that that is like um, consistent with the ethos and the ethics of 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 communism and a more humane way of like being in this world. And we need we need to steal physical fitness back from its commodification and yuppification. Um, I remember that to plug the um, the Deathnography podcast, yes. there's was a really interesting episode about the, like the anthropology of like CrossFit. Plugging uh, the
3: ethnography yeah. is right here. <laughs> right <no. laughs> we're white podcast
1: we,
2: yeah. um listen to that episode listeners that really good um deathnography episode about crossfit as a kind of like you know secular post-religious katie uh
1: katie roseate monarch uh, is an anthro uh, anthropologist who uh, yeah. studies CrossFit. She actually has a book coming out soon about, uh, I think it's like, well, she's still working on the name, but it's about CrossFit in American culture and just like what what sort of people are attracted to it and what they're doing in there. Oh yeah, yeah. you That's listen cool. to that episode, she she blushes it
0: out. <laughs> I think we can uh, follow up on a question related to all this stuff. <clears throat> I'm just going to pick random questions so people don't know where they're from. But uh, this says, Keep riffing on men's health. Any thoughts on how about how post-pandemic COVID has changed everyone's uh, everyone's attitudes to quote-unquote well-being, exercise, loneliness, burnout, malaise, goblin mode, and so on. So. I don't know, how's your uh, how's your uh, last three years been in terms of, uh, yeah, well-being, not just men's health. But I mean, everyone's health, really. I, I, for sure, I, I, I can say that I've been working out more, especially like in lockdown and stuff and uh, missing the pool for a long time because <clears throat> it was closed, obviously for covid so not swimming kind of sucked um just cuz i feel like i'm i'm it's the exercise i'm most used to and it's kind of liberating i guess it's it's really the same w- whatever you do right like if you're weight lift or if you're runner or if you swim you get that kind of attachment that's not really it's not just a habit and it's not just a oh I'm, I'm, I'm you know I'm getting fit or I'm staying healthy. It's more like the actual physical embodied experience of doing the thing you're so used to, right Like you just get sort of uh, not nostalgia, but you, you really miss miss the yeah that embodiment. So so that kind of sucked, but I feel like people got more time um and being forced to stay indoors or not being able to go to the gym or go to the pool or go to uh like fitness places sort of put a lot of pressure on that. And of course, that's why goblin mode happened. What, what was your experience on this?
1: Can I can I ask Dino? Actually, I'm yeah, wondering because Dino was locked down. I mean, yeah. you had a whole episode about this yeah. for 69 days. Yeah, nice. Yeah. And um <laughs> yeah, like you you were stuck in your apartment, it was an apartment right like not yeah. too big so did you did you go goblin mode like did you have did you try to work out at all like did you have any sort of like physical regimen like did you walk back and forth in the apartment or anything or did you just just chill out i
3: well i think at some point in the early days of lockdown, i did try to like walk around to 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 sort of ease the anxiety but but also because of limited space i could li- maybe work say 20 meters 20 meters back and forth like in straight line from the room to the living room to end of the living room maybe to the toilet and then come back but that's cool wasn't enough so i was doing more like i try to do push-ups and stuff sit-ups i guess for like very very basic exercises but it was mostly to vent anger frustration Mm, rather than say um really thinking about exercise at the time like you don't really your mind wouldn't be really on exercise at the time i guess that would be like a different kind of experience of lockdown than everybody else because after that everybody already knew what they're dealing with so um even if you're stuck at home you're not like in a perpetual anxiety in that sense so i for me so that's the main drive for me was really just to vent frustration anxiety i think the different that's a different different kind of goblin mode i guess like you you do not. no i didn't i mean i also try like at some point you wake up at fucking 8 p.m like for no reason at all because like i don't know just sleep whenever you feel like it wake up whenever you feel like it but even that mode like you have like entirely fucked up circadian cycles but you still try to like using use physical physical activities to vent your emotional kind of stress I think that's, that's. I mean, at the time, I guess. I think that's also when I learned, like, um, I've never been, except for in high school. In high school, I was on a footy team, so I played footy, mm. um, basically uh, rugby, call it, rugby or American football. Um, so it was quite physical at the time. But after that, I've never really got into, I guess, that just goes back to the sepulosexual thing. I yeah. became quite, quite kind of, um, not that I detest physical physicality, but I became sort of, that's not what I want to do so so I never really exercised for many years I think I think it's really after the I think it was really after the PhD uh uh, because I uh, basically I almost like got my PhD and then got right into a lockdown COVID basically Mm. that's like right after, not long after I finished my PhD. So for me is that then I got into exercise more often, uh, wait, like weight, at least weight. I mean, not that often as in I don't go to the gym regularly, but I still try to run, hike. So in that sense that I got a lot more into physical activities. Um, not necessarily out of these kind of ideas of work life and balance sort of thing but also to really have a life, you know, like I've, I've been no life in for like a decade maybe. Yes. And then yes. at some point like, fuck, I want to have a life. All right. You want to have a life. You're not going to like spend, like I think doing my PhD at for maybe for a year and a half, all I did was I would like wake up say at midday and then i go to the office and I work until maybe midnight and then go back home, play some games and pass out and then repeat. I was basically working like this. And that that's basically no life, right? Like, you have no life. Maybe on s- Friday night, you go to a pub with some colleagues, whatever, have a yeah. drink. But that's it. You don't really do much. Like, that's why you really want to, like, have a life. That life, for me, then... Sort of really like physical, physical, physical activities really helps um, rather than say going to museum or art galleries. That's that's for me just part of work in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's not fun, right? It's not like it doesn't, it's not that
0: satisfying.
1: You want to go on a hike sometime, Dino, like while I'm still here?
0: You should. I mean, hiking Hong Kong is pretty cool. I mean, Norway as well. Yeah, it's great, yeah I'm, I was just wondering, yeah, Patrick, I'll, I'll let you do. Uh, I was just wondering actually if COVID, I don't know if we're just getting old. And so we're kind of thinking more about this stuff or realizing it more, or if it was really that like two or three years of pandemic shaped people's sense of, okay, I got to take care of my, like my body exists. It can get well, sick. I,
1: I have a, I have a slightly probably different, like I've, I've got this anxiety, yeah <clears throat> this particular anxiety, um, because I'm, I'm 29 yeah. right now. Uh, I just turned 29 in December and I've Happy got this birthday. feeling <laughs> it's February, but, <laughs> yeah, thank no, you. I-, but I mean <laughs> like, um, no, but it's, uh. <laughs> I feel like my body is gonna fall apart yeah, the yeah, day yeah. I turn 30. Yeah. I've got that. I don't know if you all experience this in your twenties, yeah, but
0: it will. But um it actually will. Especially
1: as <laughs> someone who well, I know that's like <laughs> just being human. You're gonna eventually, yes, yeah, you are yeah. gonna fall apart. But like I I've, I've got this feeling that I'm just like gonna deteriorate like so quickly. And I'm so anxious about that. So I'm during the pandemic. Also, time has felt like, for me at least, it felt like it's going too quickly. So I'm right, yeah. yeah. Or or like I've lost the last half of my twenties. I'm like I've been robbed of this time. So I was training like real. I've trained really, really hard in the gym for the past three years, just because I'm like, well, if I'm gonna lose all this time, I might as well have something to show for it. It's it's almost like that those stupid things people um were sharing early on in lockdown i don't know if you any of you saw this but it was like if you leave lockdown without knowing like a new language or oh, having yeah. read like 20 <laughs> books then like you know you're a loser but i kind of even though obviously that's bullshit i could i kind of have like an internal thing where i'm i'm telling myself that i'm like for other people i wouldn't say that but for right, myself yeah. i'm like if you come out of this thing and you and you cannot squat you know four plates for reps then you you might as well have just died right yeah yeah
0: i think it's i think it's related i mean i don't know I'm just thinking how how much this kind of changed our or accelerated our uh, self-reflexive feelings. About hey, how old
1: are how old is everyone here?
2: thirty six? thirty six. he's thirty two.
1: Okay, cool.
2: I, I think um I think what I can add best uh, to the conversation so far here is thinking about where we're at in relationship to the pandemic now um because um it seems like you know i mean most uh, pretty much all the governments of the world have decided it's over yeah yeah, yeah. right and um i trust
0: the government so it's over <laughs>
2: and uh and i think that we are being i think there's a massive like repression going on of the things that we learned like during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and and uh a lot of which you know for those of us who were who were not um i mean everyone is in some sense traumatized in the way that they'll have to figure out but um but you know for someone say like um i think a, a lot of a lot of people had a lot of time to reflect and work on themselves and have realizations um that it's really important not to forget um so you know uh myself i felt uh, uh, I, you know, it just made me think, like, wow. Well, nothing, n- everything can go to shit immediately, which is the gospel I've been preaching forever. Mm-hmm. And but then no, it like real. finally happens, yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, wow. So it really doesn't matter what you do, you, you, in the sense that um, uh, in the sense of looking for like external plans or validation or whatever. Like, do whatever the fuck you want, right? Do what you actually want to do, because the because the entire world will uh just uh throw you to the dogs um, and um, and now so people might have taken a more relaxed attitude like myself or people who might have discovered say like Henry that they, they could just really fucking you know get ripped if they want to you know or uh, improve some aspect of themselves um, now it's like, we're, we're kind of being pressured to forget all that. And we're kind of being pressured to look at the pandemic as lost time. Um, and so now the normie, like ambitious career oriented, you know, uh, socially oriented imperatives to work, achieve, develop your human capital are all being pushed back on us. Uh, mm-hmm. and we should try to resist that. I think also, um, in the United States, a major consequence of the pandemic was surely the, um, Uh, uh, resistance, political resistance that happened in the summer of uh, 2020 in connection to Black Lives Matter. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, who are not... who are not as directly threatened by police violence, realized that nonetheless, the state like just wants them to die. Uh, and they were willing to risk uh, more um, uh, to, to get out there and uh, have solidarity and um, yeah re- resist this awful, monstrous, late capitalist, uh, carceral, necropolitical, like political dispensation that we live in in the United States. And I think people, um, people, you know, there's a, there's a author here in Brooklyn, author and a filmmaker, Blair McClendon, uh, who wrote a great article, I think it's in like N plus one. And he was just like, don't forget that people literally burned down a police station in the summer of 2020 in the United States. That's, that's fucking unheard of. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's like inconceivable, like five years ago that that would happen here um so yeah don't don't forget uh how good it made you feel um to fight um would be some of my advice for for, for young men post pandemic mental health for young men yeah, okay good
1: and um, for the young men who didn't fight perhaps they were too young at the time yeah it's that it does feel good to fight it's like get yes out there.
0: yes yeah, you, you don't need a pandemic to trigger it just fucking do it let's go <clears throat> i have a question uh i have a question uh Let's go with uh, some academia to change. There is a question that says, "Getting back into academia after many years out." Now, I I don't feel like I can answer to this because I I feel like I've been in academia okay. for way too long.
1: Gabriel, can I can I ask it? I mean it's not um it's not this i'm not actually the one asking the question but how yeah, about yeah. framing it as if because i've been out of academia for, yeah, yeah i mean i finished my my ma in 2017 yeah so now it's been like six years so if i were to come to you guys and say hey i'm looking to get back into the game right what would you tell me
0: i think i think after ma it's, there's sort of no there's no barriers at that stage because what you would do is, is is try to get a phd scholarship so i think those are pretty age uh, agnostic or i, I don't want to say they're easy to get, but it really depends where you want to do it. But I think you can get a PhD offer in some place with just some effort and putting together a proposal, like in my experience, especially if you're into it, like that's master's to PhD is probably the easiest time in which if you're actually into something, like if you're a nerd, or if you want to write about a thing, it's probably the the time in in academia where, yeah, you write a proposal you want to do and will be evaluated for what it is. For a large part, in my experience, like I've seen people getting offers for PhDs at very different ages and and career paths. So I wouldn't, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is more like getting a job uh, 10 years after you got your PhD, if you haven't had a career in between, uh, that, that could be harder. But I don't know. I don't know what your experience is. Patrick, what what's uh what your what's your career? I guess,
2: yeah. Yeah, I guess I mean it was eight years between when I ended inter when I ended undergrad and started a PhD program. Yeah, okay. And you know, so starting at 30 was sort of like I was like the average age of a PhD mm. student, but most of them had started three years before me, say. Right. Um it's it's if anything, uh I think it makes me like a more well adjusted mm. uh PhD student because I think if Uh, No offense, uh, Gab, but I think if you just go from school to school to school, you're at higher risk for the kind of like neuroses and horror stories we Mm -hmm. hear about academia, like treating your advisors like parental figures. yeah. yeah, yeah. So then everything becomes way more fraught, you know, whereas they're actually like a kind of boss. Mm -hmm. And if you're at a good program, they're probably one of the friendlier bosses like Mm -hmm. you're ever going to have. Um, uh, But it it helps me keep a distance from it and think about it as a job. Now, you know, the trade off is that I'm not sure I'm going to finish my Ph.D. uh, and even less sure that I would like to, to do an academic career. Um, but yes, yeah, certainly there's no, in fact, like if you can go ask an old professor for a recommendation, which is the scariest part of applying, right? Yeah. and you should combat that by just doing it as early as possible, right? Like, um, don't do last minute applications, waste of time, too much stress. I get that I can only do things last minute, but you know, if you can, if you can be chill enough to just decide like, I'm going to apply one year from now mm-hmm. and then like ask for your recommendations two months ahead of the, uh, you know, deadline, then it's going to be way less stressful. And I think you're right that it's, it's a much bigger barrier. If you were to like get a PhD, go do something else and then try to re- yeah, yeah. enter the academic workforce. That's, that's not terribly workable. Um, should you get a PhD? You know, uh, my, I, I, I think it's really, um, do you want to write a book? Like a a scholarly research book, um, would be the, the, what would you would have to do to finish it? You know, I feel like my attitude is more like grad school always seems stimulating. All my friends did it. I've been in it for six years. It's been stimulating. Maybe I don't need to write a book and I might just move on. Yeah, um yeah. so you, you gotta stay well, well adjusted, unfortunately. And I hate to use the word flexible about what it means to get a PhD. But in general, I think the barriers to entry are lower than you think. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I agree. <clears throat> um,
1: I have an. I have a question that just came in. Oh, cool. Are you? Are you, is everyone okay to pivot? Do you know? Do you want to add anything to the last? Oh question? shit! We can, Let's
2: just... we can just do it live. Live fucking. All right, this is a
1: live. We got a live question coming in. <laughs> it's amazing from from Aiden in Toronto. Um, I recently took up a new job that I hate and my coworker, who is on probation because he's not great at his job Hasn't been paid for two months. This is completely legal apparently It has to do with the fact that he's a contract worker for a US company He doesn't want any help with the situation, but it's clearly causing him distress I've offered to speak to our boss about how unethical this is But my coworker has asked me not to because he thinks it could bring on more retaliation in the meantime He's becoming miserable and difficult to work with. Understandably. So what should I do? Yeah. What a situation. Wow. So trying to help someone who doesn't want help. Yeah. That's tough. Cause who's it's... also making, but who's also making your life harder too. Cause you're working together. You're supposed to be, Yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of shocked about the no pay thing. I didn't know that. That's... Yeah. I didn't know that.
0: Do you know, because do you know what's the legal reason for that in no. Canada? No,
1: my, my girlfriend's a lawyer. I could message her. <laughs> call call her in? Actually, hap- Happens to be a, a mutual friend. She's skiing right now. She's okay. currently like on a ski Hill. Okay. Um,
0: then, then yeah. don't don't call her I'm sure she, but, she doesn't uh,
1: want to do law right now no and, and not for us especially i'm sure
0: but yeah i mean that's that's tough. That's hard to suggest what to do to young men in this case.
2: I'm, I'm certainly not, uh, I certainly haven't been in that situation. It seems like, um, I, I have had friends who've been in comparable situations. Um, I, think, um, I, th- I think the first person, collective action is more convincing to bosses, right? So if it's you and your friend taking a stand together, um, that is more likely to get traction. Now, in this case, it's especially frustrating because it's a friend you're trying to help and he's the one who especially doesn't want to do something. Yeah. Um, at this point, I would think that um, <clears throat> maybe you've got to be really firm with the friend if you want to deal with this, right? You got to, so they're the first like person you've got to be really firm with, right? Like not aggressive, but you can appeal to your own self-interest in talking to the friend, being like, "Look, mm. this is fucking up my work experience. I need to solve this problem for you because it's a problem for me, right?" Yeah. So don't be afraid to be selfish about this in dealing with the friend. If you really can't move him, then you know you might have to resign yourself to, you know, this is an unjust situation that you're not going to be able to to deal with. Um, if you hate your job in general, nothing feels better than quitting. Yeah. Uh, and and don't don't you can hating your job can prevent you, can sap your like will to like take the steps you need to take to get out of that job, right? And that could mean applying for other jobs like starting now. The conventional wisdom is it's easier to get a job when you already have a job. I don't know about that necessarily, but you can start figuring out like, all right, well, if I quit tomorrow, wh- you know, uh, what would I do? Like, could I move in with my aunt or like my parents or something for a second? Because uh, hating a job like really destroys your overall sense of well-being so if you can't solve the situation with the friends if there's if there's also a buried question here about like what should i do about this job that i hate i definitely urge you to take concrete actions to quit it'll feel great there are unfortunately there are other jobs out there and you'll probably hate them too but it won't be this one, you know? <laughs> it's,
1: I mean, he starts and ends this question with, I recently took up a new job that I hate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at the end, in the meantime, he's becoming miserable and difficult to work with. So I think you're right. There probably is the underlying issue of you're in a really shitty job. Like, even if this problem was solved, is your job worth staying in? Mm-hmm. Or could you find something else? Um, yeah, Quit. You can always
0: leave, remember, the share zone. You know,
1: what do you think? I think you said what I want to say, but so I'm not going to have
2: much yeah. enough.
0: Exactly. Just walk out.
2: I, I literally have a Deshares Zone shirt. Perfect. Just walk out. You can leave it. Work. Work is a first thing. thing. <laughs> Movies. Cops if you're quick. I, if it sucks, work- hit the bricks. <laughs>
1: I've, I've walked out of a, uh, I've walked out mid shift on a job, right? I was like, you know, said to the boss, I was like, all right, I just started walking there. Like, are you quitting? I said, yep. And I just walked straight out. Never felt so I felt a little like sort of shaky, you know, like just the adrenaline of it. But damn, that felt super, super good. But then I was screwed for a little while because I had to find work. But still, it, it felt really good. You should finding something that you can jump to is probably a good idea. Mm-hmm. Having a, a backup plan.
0: Good luck, Aiden.
1: Yeah, best of luck, Aiden. <clears throat> Let me check. Um, I have another I have another question. Cool. This one's on. about dating. Oh, right. I don't know if any of us can help, though. Because, okay, so Probably you not. grew up in a big city, you know. I grew up in a big city. Yeah, I, I grew Either up in You Rome. grew up in a small town. No, okay, I grew up that's in a, Rome. It's pretty that's big. a big city. Yeah. That's a big old city. Yeah. And then Patrick? Patrick grew I
2: grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee, but I oh. didn't really date. So <laughs> it's like a town, you know. Um, it's a town rather than a city. But what's the question?
1: Well, the, da- the question is, dating advice generally? Small town edition of dating.
0: Okay, that's it.
1: Yeah, that's it. But I mean, there's not much to go on here, and also none of it. We had another question on dating on financial.
0: There was another one. That, yeah, that, that yeah, is a question a that one. says.
1: Related, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. You're right. You're
0: right. Is there something uniquely bad about dating cultures in cities that are financial centers? So we can probably like answer this together. <clears throat> I mean, I, I can't. Rome is not really a financial center, but New York is. Uh, I lived in Shanghai. That's a financial center. Hong Kong is a financial center. I don't know, Toronto? Yeah, Taipei. Yeah, Taipei, there. yeah. Toronto? Toronto, I would, yeah, Toronto's a financial yeah. center. So I don't know. I mean, for a small town, my feeling is, and I, I've never lived in a small town for an extended periods of times, although Bergen is a relatively small city. Um, but my feeling is that in small towns, at least all my friends that lived and grew up in small towns, is that you need to kind of think of other small towns around you as this like network of sort of a bigger local entity. So you don't need to limit yourself to your small town and sort of like expand and, and internalize this idea that you can't go hang out in, in, in a town 30 minutes away or 40 minutes away or an hour away and just move around because actually when you live in a big city that's what you do when you go to like the district to neighborhood yeah neighborhood to neighborhood it's like sometimes you take two hours to cross the city so it's sort of like yeah. In that way you can expand your range. But I really don't have any experience on small towns.
2: I've I've heard from people who live in Alaska right. that um on dating apps, people will strike up conversations that will last for weeks at a time and they will plan like a, a basically like a romantic weekend together, like if it's going well. Because like <clears throat> there's a lot of places in Alaska, it's like you can only fly to like in a small plane. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like it takes It'll take you like a day or a day and a half to like commute to other people and um so that is certainly part of dating culture and really spread out places that you might have to play you know you might just enjoy the erotics of online mm-hmm. plan and then swing for the fences no but like not- how do you how do you find people like you're not in the
3: same town, even you're like i don't know like so far away from each other how do you find each other on
0: dating apps that's probably like three users so they'll <laughs> date each other
2: <laughs> you gotta set that search radius wide like five hundred miles Kilometers, search yeah. radius. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, and I, you so know, fucked up. I, I feel like it's like, <clears throat> I don't know, Knoxville, Tennessee is 120,000 people. <clears throat> and, and then I love giant cities mm-hmm. and have lived most of my adult life in New York um, on and off. And so why, it's why like, the ch-
1: U S have so many cities that are like that size? Why don't you have like super cities, but you have like so many people, but it's just like a million cities like that size, like a hundred thousand people.
2: Yeah. That's a great question. It's like, there's only like a handful of cities in in the United States that are even worth being called cities mm, yeah. in the 21st century, you know, like New York, LA, I think Chicago has like 3 million people. But it's like, yeah, New York is the only city that is even comparable to like, you know, that the most populous 50 cities in China, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, it's uh, the United States is Yeah, it's it's like a weird nation of, of like medium sized Sort of small, medium-sized towns, towns or large yeah. towns, not of cities. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the financial center, it's two versions of hell, really, because I feel like if you're in a small town and you're only limited to that small town, you get married too early, mm-hmm. You every relationship is going to cause drama down the line. I think it's the advice to like, you need to see the other small towns as part of your dating pool. You need you need to fly 500 miles away for a romantic weekend. That's all good advice. That's good coping. Dating in financial centers, it's like there's also a strong incentive in financial centers to pair up prematurely because life is so expensive. Yeah. yeah. There's also a, a vaster pool of people who are single, but that is its own hell because maybe it's I th- in capitals of some kind, whether it's a cultural capital, uh, a money capital. Like I feel like dating among single adults is these days I feel like it's like all about like social status you know it's okay. it's a kind of ruthless zero sum competition for mana in the in the anthropological right. sense yeah. where it's like you score more mana by sleeping with someone who seems to have a higher social station than you um, whether that's they have more cultural capital they're more sophisticated have a more desirable job or they're richer um, and you lose mana by sleeping someone who with someone who's unworthy of you. And I feel like in the generally pervasive atmosphere, the general atmosphere of pervasive hostility, suspicion, sexual violence, it's a it's a dark time to be a a straight person in a giant city um and i feel like this i mean as we know studies studies say people are not fucking yeah yeah you know um and uh it's and 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 for good reasons like it's a real problem right um so it's like uh fuck it's 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 really hard the general logic of finance suffuses all aspects of life in the competition for social status which is very very directly materialized in dating and who you sleep with uh if there's if there's a, a thing that i could wish for the world is that people would just be more laid back you know or or would just 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 get out there and fuck people you're clearly going crazy i'm going crazy i need to fuck. um but, I, but it's but it but it, you also just you also can't just wish that into existence either you you need to like be the kind of ethical human being you want to see more of in the world in the world and, yeah, yeah. and that's very hard to do because the structural constraints are hostility, suspicion, um, stealing from one another in one way or another, whether it's stealing someone. can't even
1: read a book on the subway without some fucker taking your photo, posting it I... everywhere.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel so... Violated. Not really, though. In New York, I will say, you know, there's a whole it's in New York, it's kind of like a don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to taking pictures of strangers in public, you know, like, don't let them know you're doing it. But it's like the genre of street photography. And since the birth of like mobile phones, like posting images of wackos on the subway, or somebody who has like really cool clothing on, you, you know, it's not always like derogatory. Somebody's just amusing or like amazing. And that kind of shit started with like when Gawker was still like Mm -hmm. a a real website or Gothamist. Um, So it's like there's there's a culture of discreet, respectful creep shotting in New York that I think is healthy uh, because we're all here to see and be seen. Um, But um, but don't 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 actually violate anyone's dignity and uh, and and don't let them know, even if you're being respectful, don't let them know. It's more it's more flattering when some. When you find yourself having gone viral for being a hunk reading a thick book on the subway uh, unexpectedly.
0: <laughs> that's cool.. Okay, um,
3: so, so just going to add a bit about the when Patrick said about the um, social status thing like dating and social status. I think that's the real like going back to sexual, mm-hmm. I think that's the real kind of um, the, the, that's why in a sense what I think that's what mainly in a sense I didn't get there mainly what the se sexuality is about it's about sleeping with someone who has more intellect but not in a sense of you talk to this person you know this person's smart but they verify intellect intellectual capital. famous yes yeah. uh, uh like a, a famous intellectual and then that that's I said that you' Michelle Hulbert example yeah that you you sleep with this sort of i mean obviously like dating them is even much better right you don't just want to sleep with this person you actually want to date them um so that gives a a very interesting kind of dynamic in uh dating in uh in the sort of uh intellectual circles that 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 from the outside you would say okay these people don't these people must not care about money but can caring about social capital, cultural capital can be much worse than just caring about this guy's rich. I'm dating him because he's going to be my sugar daddy. Mm. And may, maybe, maybe that's that's more straightforward and less, uh, in uh, 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 inter- uh emotion in texting than date someone who is who has a lot of cultural capital because of their uh, because, their published books, uh, because they publish books, because they're famous, they've uh, they, they tour the world to give talks, etc. Um, in that sense, I think, I think that's, uh, that's also coming back to the, uh, advice for young men. Uh, this is also applies to young women that, um, if you are a in that, in that sense, please to appreciate intellect in itself, don't think about whoever the fuck wrote this famous book. Okay. I don't have any statistic to back that up. Oh, of course. It's like but personal I think experience. I do. I do think um, in big financial centers, if you are trying to look for like connections, like I'm not talking about hookups, you can always find hookup It's not that difficult. Um,
1: Enough for this guy. Am I right? No, no. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm just saying if you're looking for something that is that is emotionally satisfying, yeah, of course,
0: I mean, it's dating. Uh, so I guess the question was like, yeah, how do you find someone who you, you want to hang out with and you like it? yes yeah. exactly yeah. right not just talking about yeah, sex yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah.
3: emotionally satisfying experience in general that is quite difficult in yeah. a financial center because i think to a degree um because that patrick also said this uh, people have more uh, more financial reasons to think about stay, stability and this sense um say this then of course goes back to capital again. Um so people consider a lot in terms of like when when they're thinking about relationships. But at the same time, especially through dating apps, is I think it's really, really um dehumanizing yeah. in the sense that um it gives you it is just like like I don't know what what's the so I, I think, to a degree, there are two answers. It's a spectrum of uh, of of unsatisfying uh, emotional relationships. On the one hand, you have the sort of pseudo intellectual, and like like you, you you think you are having a in, in a real connection, a meaningful connection, but. It's more of an obsession with social or cultural capital masquerading as, as a genuine uh, intellectual connection or emotional connection. Whereas on the other hand, you have people just thinking about whether you match in terms of um, what you can provide for each other. Uh, so you, you, like the moment that you, you're thinking about, so this is especially applies to maybe Asian countries where you're talking about not just blind date, but dating in general. When people looking towards uh, um, a stable relationship, mm-hmm. you're looking, you are looking at the financial status anyway. You're always thinking about these things. Um, uh, there's no, avo- there's no avoiding these things. I think this would like say bring up the example of um, the 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 Instagram Twitter guy James. Uh, James Cage, White. James so, White. So, what yeah, a kid! right. He's a. Uh, like, he's. Uh, I don't know. Like it's. <laughs> right, like he's as a. Uh, like, well, explain
1: what he is, though, because I didn't know
0: before you showed. Oh, you didn't his, know like, James White, James no, Cage. Oh, uh, Dino. Dino showed. Dino showed me
1: his. Uh, his Instagram. Yeah. He's a Chinese guy who is on Instagram, and he's like he's okay. You described him as the opposite of uh. uh Pengzai. Pengzai. Yeah. 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 yeah, the yeah. Opposite of Pongzai. So yeah. in the way, in the sense that Pongzai, y- you. May have seen Pangjay's videos. He's also a Chinese uh social media figure. Yeah. But Pangjay he's like a farmer. He's a businessman. He's a family man. He drinks beer. He eats good food. He farms. He has barbecues with his friends. He's he's just like living the good life. He doesn't look worried. He's not stressed about a goddamn thing. He's like slamming his beers. He's like, you know, he he looks really cool when he does it, right? He like lights his cigarette by sticking his his finger in the the by Joe and then like he does you know, the beer tornado,
0: tornado. Yeah, he does the, the beer ball.
1: tornado and all that. And then James, James K. Dwight. James K. Dwight, <laughs> he he's like and he's like complaining he's like every single post is like my life's fucking awful like <laughs> it's like fade, so much yeah it's fade <laughs> and he's like he's doing like gross stuff like in one of them he has like just like I guess he was eating like uh maybe um shrimp or something but he has like seafood debris all over his hands and he's like coming to get you and he has his hand out towards the camera and then he's like just kidding but it's just like you know it's more a neurotic sort of uh, I mean unhappy. he's a
0: loser he's like the quintessential loser but doesn't he
1: have but he has a family does he not and like no but i
0: mean like, the whole story was like he he complained so hard wait, for you years the backstory, yeah, right? yeah yeah you, go, go on go on go on no i mean i don't know much but i remember he was complaining for years it's been going on for years so he was complaining that he's single he cannot find a woman and then finally he found this woman and then they got married, and there was this whole drama about marriage and like getting into the, her family. And then like her father hates him or something. And then eventually yeah. he got divorced. Like it's been going on for years, and now he's divorced, divorced again. And like,
3: oh. um, so like w- the moment, he, uh, because like we follow him like really early on, okay? <laughs> yeah. So um, really early on, we already like he always complaining about he was basically incel,
0: but a Chinese like, incel, yeah,
3: yeah, like a, like a definition of incel. Like. <laughs> <laughs> basically um um it'd be like complaining about not getting a girlfriend all the time live, big city Chong, or small town? Chongqing, Chongqing, Chongqing. So it's a big city. big city that's a big yeah. city yeah big financial center oh, also a big financial center <laughs> yes um so uh yeah i mean the very average chinese guy Whereas, um very um like in chinese standards very normal kind of patriarchal thoughts about women, yeah, yeah, yeah. like in a normal kind of chinese way so in that sense and also he complains about a uh, uh, women uh, a lot so uh, w- w- as 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 a as sort of a uh, as a, s- a follower of 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 his social media post nobody thought he was ever going to get a girlfriend yeah <laughs> Like th- that was
1: really unusual. So like when when he n- announced that were, he got,
0: were you rooting for him though? Did you want
1: him to, or were you like, this guy sucks? Like I think at that time, I
0: this? think at that time people actually support him and like he's kind of endearing because people. Oh, on... I
1: don't mean people. I mean you two. Did you want? Were you rooting for him, or were you thinking this guy is kind of a loser? He like you know falling. No, him because
0: like, he's not that like, ugly or anything. So I thought. I mean, he can. If he, if he really wants, he can. not He will eventually get a girlfriend. I guess. I mean, I didn't really care for uh, that. You're
1: dodging my question. You're dodging my question. Were you rooting you for him? It? Yeah, yeah, I we're
3: did. For I, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me it was I didn't really think about this. And mm-hmm. at the moment, he that he got a girlfriend, me and a friend of mine, another friend of my uh back in Australia, we were following him like every fucking time we meet for for lunch, for dinner, we'll be like talking about him. We're like very really, um ardent fans. So um so we we, we were t- like then we we're like fuck this is like this is, this is probably fake like, this is like yeah 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 probably yeah. like it's, right it's probably either he got scammed right and then at some point then he announced that his wife was pregnant and um and then at that point he started complaining about the father the father-in-law wouldn't let the his son to be named after him like like the, S- surname. So his family surname. Yeah, surname surname oh. yeah a Chinese surname. So be like, Oh, my son's not gonna be like, not gonna inherit my surname because my wife wouldn't allow me that's that pretty fair that is pretty yeah cucked. that's so cocked right like this is like <laughs> this is like his first moment of cockdom right and then the all the instagram comments and twitter comments were like so this who is uh who is the actual dad like they were like oh, were you like cocked all along like yeah i mean
0: i think it became sort of a punching bag after a while because people just comment and say like ah, james you got cocked and blah blah and like yeah especially on twitter and so, instagram
3: yeah that was that was a bat going on uh Underground batting uh, about uh, <laughs> when when he would divorce, um, and and now he's actually divorced. So. And it was became like event. It was like why, why uh, right after the balloon was found. Yeah, and then that was you. He just posted on Twitter divorce, and it's <laughs> so like so. It might be like a, a sci- might
0: be a Chinese psyop to like take attention away from the balloon. They just activated. That's a, that's a w- yeah, that's a weird distraction. James divorce. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so yeah, that's just like an example of I guess of, of uh, a neck Well, uh, um, that's a that's cautionary tale of, of yeah. In incel story
1: so what would you say the takeaway is for what, what is the takeaway then for young men
3: well the my advice for young men is don't simp just don't be a simp
2: there we go yes
3: just respect yourself we all want equality right so we practice equality don't be a simp, right (laughs) also don't be an incel yeah if you ever want to be anything yeah you can be a vocelle in the sense that you stop caring just be you right and maybe you you are voicel, but uh, at some point you meet someone you like each other then you reactivate yourself but just don't be an incel
1: I just like, you react to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like you're a fucking machine. Like <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way of thinking about it. <laughs> oh shit.
0: You want to take the other last couple of questions? Because we have like two hours <laughs> of recording.
1: Yeah. Um, do you want a serious question? Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's let's see which one we'll Um
1: I just got another one. So this cool. one's this one's coming in live. This is from L Javi 93. So he's my age. So let's okay. say like a 29-year-old, 30 year old person, or they, I, I shouldn't assume. So they're asking, want to work as an educator in higher ed, but disillusioned with tenure track jobs? Any. Ideas.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you, I think it's great because if you want to work as an educator, it means you want to teach, and there's always non tenure track jobs that can probably be more satisfying than. Tenure track, which means getting on the you know like spinning wheel of uh, luck yeah, and the grind. Uh, pressure, yeah, the grind and stuff. Just find a institution or a school that you like and that lets you teach what you want, and just get a teaching job. I mean, it doesn't need to be a university. But,
1: but so I always thought that tenure track was like the goal, though. Is that not the goal? For well, you I guys?
0: mean, it depends what you want because the so like if you go on a sort of like if you want to have the academic career, that is, you want to get a tenure track job, which means you 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 become an assistant professor or a lecturer or whatever. And then you you work hard, you publish and you get results hoping that when they renew your contract after three years, four years, six years, they give you tenure, which means it just means a job, like a permanent job. Um, so it's sort of like, it's different from other industries where you just get an offer and then you get a job and academia is like, you're, you're like being tested for, for a while before you actually get a long term contract, that's like permanent contract. So but you don't need to do that. If if what you want is teaching, you can just you can just not care about tenure, Uh, you can just go on contract, you know, temp jobs. Yeah. So I mean, I don't know for me, because personally, like teaching is not my goal. So I don't want to be doing teaching 100%. But if you want to be an educator, and I know people who, who are just into like pedagogy and education, and they like to teach, then don't get stuck in academia. I mean, you can teach in academia as a you know, contract job for a year or two, and then you teach in other institutions and you, you set up your own like pedagogy programs or whatever you want to teach. Uh, there are schools that pay way better than universities. Uh, go to international schools. You can travel. You can do private teaching. I think there's actually way more options if you want to teach than there are for researchers. Because if I want to do research, I don't have much choice. Like I, I have to get a tenure track job and get my 40% research time and try to do as much as I can in there. Or I try to get a private grant from an institution, but
1: I don't have There's a marketing company out there that wants you.
0: Exactly. Or a marketing company that wants you
1: to do some, some qualitative research on new trends.
0: Indeed. That's, that's the other option. But then, you know, that that's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a possibility, but, but if you want to teach, I think you have, yeah, you have a wider choice. What's your guys'
2: thoughts on this? Uh, Did they say teach specifically? Did they say work in higher ed? They said educator. They said, let me see,
1: let me see. Educator. Yeah. To be an educator. Want to work as an educator in higher ed? uh, I would assume that you want
3: to be. I assume that you want to be act educator, meaning you want to be a teacher, because educator does not necessarily intersect with a researcher as identity. So that's the assumption, right? Yeah. That you're into teaching.
0: I mean, I know people who are who who are basically educators, pedagogues. Which means they, they specialize in teaching stuff like social science, human sciences, uh, humanities, whatever. And they do they spend their life getting grants from art foundations and organizing stuff in museums and art galleries and theater events and things that's totally possible and I think probably quite good good option if that's what you want to do it's
2: uh, the situation in the United States is it's uh, harder for me to be optimistic mm. I don't know where the person's asking from
0: yeah I'm talking from like Europe, yeah. European context yeah yeah
2: like the system in the United States is a uh, quite a bit broken mm. in the sense that it's like um all right universities have basically basically become real estate like mm-hmm. companies, they their asset managers, like that's what universities are both public and both private, uh, like the new school, one of mm-hmm. my employers and public like the University of California, another of one of my employers during my career and um, This means that, uh, you know, they're putting all their capital, they're basically building structures to like store capital um, and reaping in as much tuition as they can Mm -hmm. while cutting labor costs as much as they can, which means... Putting the overwhelming majority of teaching burden on non-tenure track faculty, who they moreover don't pay well enough to support themselves. So like being like the best advice for like, do you want to be a higher ed, non-tenure track educator in the United States? It's to like marry rich and, and, and then be a lecturer. Um, also to get in the position of being a lecturer, it's kind of challenging because it's like you have to do a PhD. So you have to like oh, yeah, be, yeah, for sure. yeah. you have to like be a researcher first for a little bit and then focus on teaching. Um, and so the this situation is trying to be remedied by quite a lot of basically labor organizing by graduate students, but I think uh, very importantly, and not getting enough headlines is like lecturers Mm -hmm. uh, or adjunct unions. Um uh, so there was just a big strike uh, at the new school um that lasted for three weeks. Yeah, yeah, uh, I read about of that. Non tenure track faculty. Yeah. Um and they were successful in getting a contract uh that uh I think improved conditions. I don't work there anymore. Um it was overwhelmingly approved. That doesn't mean it's the best contract. Um and uh lecturer sort of unions are also very active in the University of California system. So it's like I would I would say, you know, if if you go into the room of being a higher ed lecturer in the united states you also need to commit yourself to labor organizing Mm -hmm. um uh, out of your own self-interest like i don't just say this as like some kind of moralizing communist thing you're going to want to get involved in that because there is momentum people are starting to make wins um but it's it's uh it, it there is uh change in the power structures of universities needs to happen for that to be A viable career uh including for example tenuring like lecturers like on the basis of their teaching Mm -hmm. like the american academic system really needs to open up another track so that people can prioritize teaching if they want to or research if they want to because right now everyone's kind of unhappily having to do both yeah yeah, uh, yeah. when they often prefer one or another i'd also say that there's um There's lots of ways to be an educator. I, th- I think you mentioned, you know, besides working in yeah, yeah. The university system. Um, it's not like museums are angelic institutions either. They're oh, also primarily, um, like asset orders and like international capital traffickers. Um, you know, they're tax havens. Um, but, uh, museum education is like a cool way to like teach. And there's lots of like, you know, with the glut of underemployed lecturers, um, and PhD holders. There's also all these weird, like, you know, para academic Mm -hmm. places like the new center, um, like um, the Brooklyn Institute, um, and a really great place that um, deserves attention. I would like to plug in Durham, North Carolina called Night School Bar, where Uh, was started by like a PhD Duke literature PhD grad who was a bar owner and then started running like a kind of pay what you can like night school with uh, other fellow sort of emerging scholars or early career PhD holders Um, and they do really amazing and very like critical very politicized uh, kind of education. I'll also also say you know there was I think something that's these weird para-academic institutions you know what What's what's difficult about them, right, is that like they can't credential you. Well, they cannot
0: get, yeah, they cannot give out degrees and stuff. So, yeah.
2: Right. And so it's like in the... In in the fucked up like capitalist dystopia we live in, like I feel personally like hard to like justify charging someone for a service, an educational service, if I can't offer them a credential mm-hmm. because that's ultimately what people are. If we if we're paying for education, that's what you are paying for, yeah. Right? Which is really fucked up. If someone up, campus, came to you
1: for private yeah. private anthropology lessons, just like. Aside yeah. from any sort of institution, it would be sort of bizarre. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's so weird because I mean that's that's kind of like works for high school and other kind of education, but professional education. But somehow academia's been so hollowed out of content that it feels so weird to yeah. get paid just to that's teach. That's why stuff. you have
3: these sort of institutions like summer schools and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where yeah. you go That's where you actually you go and go learn stuff.
2: <laughs> and, yeah. and I would say that I mean, I, I feel like a long term utopian goal for resolving that is not figuring out how to make para-academic <clears throat> education more fair pricing-wise. Uh, hey, what you can model is probably the best anyone can do right now. Mm. But it's like, come on, we need to ultimately do away with like credentialization. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Having
2: a bachelor's degree is b- bullshit. And yeah. it's just like a thing for reproducing class society and aspirational delusions of class mobility. So like the utopian goal here is, is you know, we need to get rid of degrees um but like uh but i will say some of these paracademic things are also they do approach you know something that was really wild and existed in the united states in the 60s and 70s if you want to hear more about it um you can get the book Palo Alto by Malcolm Harris i'm the audiobook narrator comes comes out right now but he writes very extensively about uh the role that community colleges played in radical mm. education and community organizing Because there was basically like a flood of money in in the broad, like post-war and uh, post-civil rights era in the United States, a flood of money into creating like community colleges, um, right? So they're like two-year things, right? They're more like trade schools. Um, But these places became centers for like radical educators, um, and for radical students. Um, And uh, it was it was a kind of one of the very rare instances where you actually have people kind of subversively working inside of a system, you know, like, in general, don't join the system to subvert it. That's a fantasy. Um, uh, You have to create the niche in which that's even possible. That was once possible at community colleges in the United States, and it would be an interesting thing to try to revive. Um, But yeah, that's my two cents on alternative ways to satisfy the impulse to be an educator besides just being a PhD tenure track academic. Young men, women, and non-binary listeners um, take that to heart. Cool. I think we do last question. Um, you wanna do you want to do a serious
1: one? Oh, yeah, sorry.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: this is a serious do you one. Wanna,
1: no, I was going to say, do you want to do a serious one or do you want to do like one about, because uh, I want to talk about Dino's article about cuckolding. Okay, let's do, let's do this. us the economy.
0: Let's do this serious one and then we do the cucking. <laughs> okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Uh, this one is how much effort is worthwhile in trying to get a therapist any therapist to call back and set up a meeting what sort of activities are decent for sublimation in the untherapized meantime wait, wait, i was whoa, wait, can
1: you send that I, I i need to hear that again
0: yeah it's in the twitter it's chat. in the twitter It's the last okay. one in yeah, the yeah, chat yeah i'm
1: gonna I'm, let, me, let me check that out but it's basically
0: two questions is how much effort is worthwhile in trying to get a therapist to call back and set up a meeting and then what can you do in the meantime uh wait, i what i do you
1: mean like so they so they so they they this person they contacted a therapist and the therapist is like hosting them
0: i guess so so i guess change zero effort is worthwhile there yeah Yeah. there's like you
1: should not be chasing after the therapist yeah
0: that seems so that's why i wanted to answer this one don't
2: think. simp don't right? simp So don't not simp. simp for a
0: therapist exactly you
2: yeah. also you know they say and it's true you you, ha- you have to kind of date around with therapists as mm-hmm. it were like usually you will do a phone consultation or maybe an in-person consultation and you want to go ahead and schedule like three of those with like different people mm. like so and your first attempt to find a therapist don't just go one at a time schedule three to f- at most like five different people for a consultation preferably a free one, which most therapists offer, and then go with who you vibe with, because they say that's the most important thing, even more so than what type of therapy is the person trained in go go with who you vibe with. I'll
1: say in in Canada, there's all of that is true. But there's also this this other thing, there's this very attractive option to just go with the um, I mean, it depends on the province. But uh, OHIP, which is the like Ontario's uh, like healthcare, um, it's stuff that's covered by the government. So it's you know, uh, so it, the, OHIP actually covers uh, therapy, but it's only CBT. That's the catch: is it has to be CBT. So, or I mean, like as far as I know, so you can't go to like psychoanalysis and have it covered by the government. Mm-hmm. It has to be a guy with a workbook. So I've only ever had one therapist who I've gone to, and he was like a family doctor with like a CBT, I don't know, diploma thing on top of his medical degree. And basically he gave me workbooks and he's like, Well, if your brain's wrong, then you should fill out this chart. Mm-hmm. And uh it's very hard. You can't really shop re- like the wait lists are so long and you're getting it for I mean, essentially for free. So, so that's it's hard because it's such an attractive option. So it's like, how can I justify paying, you know, $150 for an hour with a psychoanalyst when I could go for free. I mean, it might be in 3 months for now, but for free to a guy with a workbook.
2: Yeah, so it depends I, where you are. There's also, you know, it's it's probably mostly only in larger population centers in the US, but there is a growing movement inside of psychoanalysis to create uh, low cost or sliding scale clinics. Um, there's, this, this, uh, there's a place called the Green Clinic in Brooklyn, um, the new center for psychoanalysis in Los Angeles. Um, and there's been a kind of revival of interest in that in psychoanalytic therapy in general. There's a great book about the deep history of that called Freud's Free Clinics by Elizabeth Ann Danto. Um, about how, you know, a lot of Freud's early followers were like socialists, communists, and they created like low-cost clinics for workers. A lot of these clinics were like, in a sense, like predecessors also to things like Planned Parenthood today, like sex education was like done at these like clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and in general, I'll just a really brief plug, therapy. Therapy's great. Everyone should go to therapy. I had the thought the other day that it's just like, um, you know, the same way that Henry is um, rightfully worried, you know, that once he reaches 30, his body will start to decay. Um, so too will your mind and personality. And just as you have to put in a little more effort to take care of yourself uh, physically, you should also put in a little more effort, to take care of yourself emotionally and mentally. And uh, yeah, you know, life And it's as I get older, it's shocking to me how it's like, I don't know, things you think you'll get over just naturally, like Mm. you don't, you know, Mm. if you've got a problem, it's going to stay a problem a lot of the time, unless you make certain changes, right? Sometimes that changes exercise. Therapy is also a really great way to, um, again, you know, take an active role in caring for yourself, forming yourself, changing yourself. It feels really good to, to have an active relationship to your, to your own well-being. And it's within everyone's reach. That's my advice to the young uh, today. Thanks, Patrick.
1: I will say as someone who's been hanging out with his 96-year-old grandmother for the past two months um you will not get over things you will you will hold on to them forever if you don't talk to
2: someone about it uh she she uh she brings up a lot of stuff that's real that's yeah. super yeah. real yeah oh and the person asked about sublimating yeah they said what kind of sublimating activities could i do in the meantime while you're looking for therapy um mm. lift with, weights yeah i think lifting i think that's the key dating
0: and getting cucked <laughs> i
1: was gonna say i was gonna say like creating sort of like an online persona and that then procedure. and then uh uh, you know, like posting on Instagram about like how frustrated you are. I think that's a really healthy way. Okay. To build it. And then develop like an international sort of social media following that sort of starts betting on whether your life's going to get better or
0: worse. That that could become extremely toxic, though. But uh. <laughs> that, that
2: well, you know, that's that's where we enter. That's where we go from. Uh, I'll get into psychoanalytic theory since Dino stepped away for a second, yeah. because I think we need to hear about uh, his anthropological research into cucking as yeah. sublimation. But like. That's what we're all
1: here. That's what we're here for. Yeah.
2: Um sublimation, it right, is a concept from Freud where very simply, right, it's like you take drives, like physical, bodily drives, like oh, I have to fuck or oh, I have to fight, right? And you channel that impulse into a more socially acceptable, um, creative form of uh, social activity, such as working out or uh, s- sporting. Or art making is, you know, usually a classic way people talk about sublimating uh-huh. uh, as you make art. Um, and then there's like <clears throat> in the in the late Lacan. uh He's sort of, his version of sublimating is this really complicated, weird thing I don't understand called the synthome, oh, yeah. which which means like a symptom that you create, all right? So it's like, you're kind of crazy, but you own it. It's like, you are letting your freak flag fly. Um, his example of the synthome, you know, is like Joyce, like you have mm. to be like an insane, you just decide like, the only way I'll keep from going crazy is if I become an insane writing machine. Mm-hmm. um and <clears throat> um and um yeah so you can sublimate in ways that are socially unacceptable or bizarre um as well um as long as you feel like you're you're owning it you're making it i suppose so um whatever whatever works and don't be afraid of doing what you really want to do even if it's uh freaky as a form of sublimation uh, i don't know
0: sounds good i mean call mm-hmm. another therapist but still yes this works <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> So cocking, yes or no? What do we say to young men? Okay,
1: well, wait, but background on this. Exactly. Dino Dino wrote an article. Did did you two read this? Yes. You
0: read the article?
2: Yeah, it's good. I like it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. A
2: a bit back, maybe uh, you or Dino can give us a kind of pricey of the the argument. Okay, so the article
1: is like partially ethnographic. So Dino went on some, okay, it's called the Green Hat Society on Weibo. So like on Chinese social media, there is... And I think it's been, it's since been shut down because I tried to yeah, click the link it. and it's shut down. But it's an online society for people who have been cuckolded. Green hat is the symbol of victimhood. For, this is like a Chinese thing. Uh, if you wear a green hat, then you're a cuck. Yeah. Um, someone who's been afflicted by an adulterous relationship. I'm just quoting from Dino's article. Um, And the Green Hat Society is sort of a place for confessions, but also sort of like analysis and people, or it was a place where people would just discuss general things, cuckolding, although it would be like people making anonymous posts and being like, either I was cucked, or I, you know, uh, did the cucking, or like, you know, I cheated on my husband, and then people would freak out in the comments. And it was uh, tinged with very patriarchal, uh, you know, um, misogynistic uh, backlash every time someone did this. Um, or they would receive misogynistic backlash, I should say, whenever this happened. Um, what is the actual argument that you are making, though? You're you're tying it to like the idea of a libidinal economy. Yeah. Do you want to kind of go into that?
3: I think I'm just basically saying that because of the the I'm taking the term um, very literally and at face value. I'm talking about the exchange of desires, right? Or the in exchange of, for your desire, I'll give you something in return. That sort of that 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 idea of I think that that car coding is in a, a a really interesting kind of societal symptom of of um, collapsing or imploding. Uh, lim, was the how do I pronounce that? Lim, libidinal. libidinal economy in the sense that um, the exchange is not happening or or the uh, dysfunctional or uh, uh, just some parties is getting exploited. Uh. Yeah,
1: sorry. Just from your article, like I think when, so in two examples that you use um, of, of cuckolding situations, one of them is illustrative of you, uh, you use like the term, um, sorry, let me see, libidinal thrift, the perceived mm. li- libidinal thrift of women. So it's like, a supply side issue or a demand issue, where it's like men want sex, women are unwilling to give it. This is the perception by these guys who are mm-hmm. freaking out on this internet forum, and this is something that you see on like Western forums too. It's like guys yeah, yeah. being like, oh, well, look, well, it's like the classic incel thing, or now classic incel thing, where it's like women don't want me, women hold all this power over me. I'm resentful of women because I can't, you know, uh, overcome this. They have something that I don't want that they can hold on to as this, you know, this this power over me. Yeah,
3: I think I think I think that's a good summary. Of, of what I'm trying to get there. Not in a sense that I what, what I find very interesting is about this sort of moralizing the victimhood of being cuckled mm. Right, in a sense that like going back to the young man question of are you for cucking or against cucking? Right, in a sense that um, I think being able to accept it and being not not moralizing it, it's a good step away from um, seeing it as as um, um, I don't know like in a sense that uh, uh, I think in the in the sort of interlingo cucking as seeing something as negative i think what i'm trying to push forward towards is not necessarily seeing cucking as something positive but something neutral something that happens um, that you don't have to moralize it in a way that that in the end of the uh at the other end of the agenda just uh, you just end up being misogynist or uh, basically, not understanding the, the the dynamics of human relationship. Well,
1: I, I would say, like you're saying, not moralizing, but not moralizing in the sense of okay, so my my girlfriend cheats on me, thus connecting it to an overall pattern of women cheating on guys. Like it could just be an interpersonal thing that occurs on an individual level. Like this is one instance where trying to draw like a social pattern out of your anecdotal evidence could be very, very harmful and fall into, you know, patterns of misogynistic thinking. And it like clearly does, right? So it's like yeah. when a guy's girlfriend cheats on him and he posts about it online, it's not just, oh, she shouldn't have done that to you. It's like, she shouldn't have done that to you. And women do this because women have this power over us. And, you know, we're in this, this sort of position of, uh, of being powerless. Uh, yeah, Yeah.
0: yeah <laughs> but what idea. was the, I don't remember, but like in the, what you observed in the Chinese case, because how is this, like green hat stuff, green hat theory, different from cucking in the English context where it is used by like, you know, incel communities or whatever to say, ah, you got cucked, which is just to say like your your girlfriend cheated on you or whatever. But on the other hand, like cuckoldry is something that some people just pursue as a like sexual fantasy or even just a, like a relationship practice, right? Where you're willingly, like you, you're willingly accept or request that your partner cheats on you or just like has sex with someone else, even in front of you, right? So mm-hmm. there's like it's a kind of a spectrum of um, very different practices, and I think the world—the word—was appropriated by this kind of like incel side or misogynistic side to to just become. The, yeah, there
1: is part of that. Um, like, not. I, I don't want to like, and it's not like something that I I know too much about. Yeah, I don't know, but it's yeah. like, and not, and not to be like, uh, like to kink shame or anything like that. But I think maybe part of the element of. Like the eroticism of cuckoldry, like for people who do, you know, enjoy it, is that on some level they don't, right? Like on some right, level, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's something that's so it's it's like this horrible, humiliating yeah. feeling. Right. But that's the thing that becomes eroticized as well. Yes, so it's yes. not uh it's not two separate things, I don't
0: think. Yeah, yeah. And I was curious because it reminded me of what Patrick and, was saying. And also, about- sorry,
1: just one other one other thing. And- I would say for and also for the people who are being, you know, just like outright misogynists about it. I assume on some level there is an erotic side to it as well. Like I don't think that they're completely free of it being like uh the word you use was like titillating, mm-hmm. which I think is like totally uh <laughs> it's like a great word for it. It's like, ooh, what is this like juicy thing? Like that uh, I'm commenting on, like, oh, I'm, like, so angry, but also at the same time, like, this is kind of hot.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, libidinal investment of, of misogyny as well. But I was curious, because this reminded me of what Patrick was saying before, of, like, nobody's fucking, and there's this, like, uh yeah just this idea that perhaps like the fact that you subject yourself to this to the not fucking and you instead let your partner enjoy that with someone else it's kind of like the
1: the issue with the logic of <laughs> these commenters is that it's, they agree nobody's fucking except your girlfriend yeah yeah exactly and yes. somehow and somehow she's engaged in this economy that you're not a part of or like the there's some other guy out there who is like engaged and then that I think maybe that ties into like there being like betas and alphas, and you mm-hmm. start okay. Well, you have to rationalize it somehow. So like there's guys in a different social, uh, you know, social. So it's like uh, a class. class or a, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so to that degree, that
3: what I mean by moralizing is that that you form a, some kind of virtual incel identity or community out of this victimhood or perceived victimhood Mm -hmm. there is of course uh cases this of course um i think the green head thing actually does have a spectrum of different things just like in the english term Mm cuckolding there is a fetish there is sexual fantasy there is a voluntary kind of level of um, cuckolding but it's also uh, a, a perceived degree of victimhood But out, out, out of this spectrum I, I would say 90% Over 90% of them are the, more of the Victimhood side of things Okay. So what people really there for the In the green hat society What people are really there for Is really for the spectacle being tackled mm-hmm. So people are there Say if the, the, the fan base I don't know what that gender distribution are but from the comments, at least seeing from the comments, mostly probably from guys. So all these guys that were being, uh, they the, the most of the most comment you get out of these posts about car is usually uh, a narrative from the victim. So it's it's in a sense that you're vicariously participating or being a victim. Then you identify with you, you. You just naturally identify with the victim. I don't know what say um, um psychoanalysis has to say about this. Right? Say. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a psychoanalyst, but, but from the sort of my, what I observed there, it's. Is uh, that virtual identity? It's created the moment that you decided to identify with um, the the victim of, uh, of 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 the cuckold. So you become a part of the society in that sense, right?
2: <clears throat> I think um, I think one of the most perceptive things about your article is that you identify how the cuckolding subculture of the green hat society is as you say quote a miniature version of the libidinal economy of chinese society sex or even desire itself is economized as currency in libidinal exchange uh for example um you say that uh you know uh, courtship is gamified right um you have to uh, accumulate you know sort of like uh sex points (laughs) That you then exchange with the woman for um, physical intimacy. Um uh, and it's also you know met-
1: played with other men too right like the whole idea of guys having like or actually women too but having a body count right mm-hmm. like why are you why keep yeah. track yeah it's because you it's because you're you're comparing your number with other people right it's because it's a competition metrics
0: yeah.
2: and uh and and Dino locates say like the resentment that cucks feel right as like a kind mm-hmm. of imbalance of payments right where it's the, the, uh, these men think that if they wait outside, I'm quoting, wait outside of a woman's workplace without her consent, right? Or, uh, you know, to give her flowers or sweets, right? That you will somehow accumulate, right? Like a kind of goodwill or a, a kind of currency of desire that should be exchangeable for sex. And as you put it, all these bombardments of quote unquote care are supposed to accumulate libidinal currency Uh, That obviously expects the equal amount of return, sexual intercourse. Energy must not be wasted. So you you locate that basically like the sort of hyper commodified, like neoliberal structure, right? Like of Chinese society, like suffuses the way that people think about like sex relationships. Etc. Um, in a, in a way, you know, not unlike we were talking about earlier, like sex as an arbiter of social status, or you know, having sex is about an exchange of mana or what have you. Sex is treated as a resource that's like scarce and can be exchanged according to the logic of like money or commodities. And, um, I think um uh, the liberating attitude that's being missed here, right? is um is the logic of the gift as opposed to the logic of the commodity. So I'm drawing here on the uh, on a certain kind of legacy of like not exactly Marxists, but like Marxist sympathetic thought. Marx Marxi- simps. Mar- <laughs> yeah, um, like Marx on Mouse. Mouse george Bataille, jean baudrillard where the whole thing that makes life worth living right is waste it's not equal exchange it's not profit it's waste you know you accumulate uh you accumulate only so you can burn it up right and spend it on like cool shit or like literally just like light a mountain of money on fire or like buy a cool car and then destroy it right? Um and so that we've lost sight of that that is what makes life worth living. And so like there's a way to transvalue, say like cucking, right? as like an experience of waste, you know? like um, like, uh, yeah, like, you know uh my woman is getting all the pleasure like she's not you you know what i'm you see what you see what i'm saying like cucking you are giving the gift of being cuckolded to the woman and you are luxuriating in your ability to destroy right your um your your manhood your manhood yeah 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 yeah. like that too can be thrilling and titillating and that would be good cucking right Yes. Like the, yeah. Just, just
3: on that note. On that note of advice for the young man. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Waste your energy. <laughs> Don't save it. <laughs> Waste your love. I love that. Waste your love. Don't be afraid to love. Just love and be cut. It's fine. <laughs> Just love and don't expect anything in return. And if you fail, be miserable for a while and then love again,
0: right? Y- yes. Okay. I think we can. Uh, yes. I think I love that's, that. I think that's the end of the podcast. Like, so far. Wow. Fucking well said. Rousing. That's beautiful. That's a rousing speech. <laughs> waste
1: your love. I'm going to get a tattoo of that. Damn.